0: I'm honored to be with you guys here today. I'm excited to be with you today in the house of the Lord. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you, Lord. If you want to lower those lights, that'd be great. Thank you, Lord, for everybody who's here today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. We Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. We need more of you, Lord. We need your presence in our lives and in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you all a letter uh, that was written to me by my mother in uh, 1994. She went to be with the Lord in 2003. She was about 58 years old. She uh, had a brain tumor that uh, took her life. About nine years before she went to be with the Lord, when I was in my 20s, 24 to be exact, she wrote this letter to me and to my siblings. And I had this letter for a while, then I lost it for several years. Then I found it, then I lost it again. A few days ago, when I was preparing for today, I found this letter again. So I want to share it with you. It says, Dear Duke, Brady, Clint, Katrina, Kevin, Shannon, and Scott. Big family. Scott's my brother-in-law. I read something the other day that I want to share with you. The climax of the U.S. Declaration of Independence is not the glowing words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It is the list of names at the end of the document, men willing to stake their fortunes, their sacred honor, and their lives on a few convictions that changed the world. Jesus changed the world with a few who were willing to die for what they believed. He began with only 12 men whom he chose to be with him. They were special because they learned from him in person, and he sent them out, ...with the good news of the gospel. They were called apostles. But God's plan for ministry was not limited to the apostles. It also included a larger group the New Testament calls disciples. They were the multitude of listeners and learners, men and women, who heard Jesus gladly. Some were inquirers and followed him for a few weeks... Others accepted his instruction and put it into practice, and they, along with the apostles, were the ones he used to change the world. God's method is still using people. People willing to change, first in themselves and then in the world. Are you willing to change? Question mark. Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. I love my family, mom. P.S. It doesn't take great people to do great things, just consecrated ones. Wasn't that a powerful letter? I I treasure that as a heritage from her. She wrote me a lot of letters and sent me articles and things when I was in college, but this one alone has been the most meaningful to me. I don't know about you all, but I I want my life to have significance. I want my life to have meaning. I want to somehow take the abilities that God has given me and to learn and to grow and to be of good use to him. And I'm quite sure that most of you in here today feel the same way. I hope that most of you in here today feel the same way. That message that she wrote to me in 1994 really took root in August of 2000. And one, when I heard someone preach a message similar to the one I'm going to share today, and when I heard that message, it I, I, it forever altered the course of my life. I don't want to exaggerate or to speak in hyperbole, but it forever altered my thinking. It forever altered what was going on in my head when I got up for the day, when I left the house. It forever altered the course of my life. To do that, I want to begin in John chapter 15. And I'm going to skip, and then I'm going to go back. I want to skip down to verse 16. And I think this is a critical, critical verse For all of us to understand. It says. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask. The father in my name. He may give it to you. These things I command you. So that you will love one another. I can stand here before you today and testify to a measure the power and the meaning in that scripture, not completely, but to a measure I have been able to dive into how profound that scripture is and how it impacts my life, and I'm sure how it impacts many of your lives, and how it can impact your lives in an even greater way. Because I have seen, I can personally witness to the fact that God's word is powerful. I've seen God save people. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him deliver people. I've seen him calm violent men. I've seen him heal broken homes, restore marriages, restore fortunes. I've seen him direct business people. I've seen him do many, many wonderful, powerful things. And I want to, lest I forget one of the most important things that I like about this scripture, It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You were chosen by God. You were chosen. It's not an accident if you... Listen, there are two kinds of people in this world. Either people who accept Christ or those who reject Christ. If you are someone who has accepted Christ... Yes, it was by your own free will, but you were chosen by him. You were chosen by him. He knew you in your mother's womb, his word says. He has every hair on your head counted, his word says. He knows your words before they come out of your mouth. He knows your thoughts from afar. He knows when you rise up and when you go to bed at night. He knows everything about you, the good and the bad. And let me tell you something, if you are here today and you love Jesus, perhaps you don't love him enough, I would challenge that's probably true for all of us. But if you're here today and you love Jesus, you have accepted Jesus, and it's because he chose you, it's not an accident. He has a design, he has a plan, he has a purpose for your life. He's given each of us unique, different talents and abilities. And he wants you to go forward and bear fruit. It says in John 15, now we'll go back to the beginning. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear fruit. That pruning process is difficult. It's no fun to be pruned, so bear fruit. (laughs) Bear fruit. I've been pruned, I don't know about you guys, but I've had my wings clipped at different times in my life because God chastens those he loves. God corrects those he loves. He allows us to go through difficulty because he wants our life to bear fruit and to glorify him. Already you are clean because the word of God I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's critical that we abide in Christ. What does it look like to abide in Christ? To seek him, to follow him, to obey him, to draw near to him, to read his word, to pray to him. That's what it means to abide in Christ. And to serve him. To serve Christ is to abide in Christ. In fact, I will challenge you with this. That disciple that my mom talked about in her letter, there is no separation, I believe that. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, by proclamation of your own words, then you are a disciple, and then you are called to serve him. That is the logical progression of those thoughts. If you are saved... You're called, you are a disciple, and you're called to serve him. Amen. By this way, verse 8. John 15, verse 8. I'm skipping around here. I'm not sharing. I would challenge you to write this passage down and and, and examine it for yourself. I don't have enough time today to share the full context of that scripture so I challenge you to read it John 15 verse 8 says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples you hear that you see salvation is free we talk about the gift of salvation being free and it is it costs you nothing but it does cost your life it cost your life. It cost that you would surrender your life to Jesus and follow Jesus and obey his word. You prove to be a disciple of Jesus by bearing fruit in your life. And does that happen right away? Not always. You know, I, I, I was bearing some fruit in my life. My, again, my mom wrote me that letter in 1994, but I don't think it really began to take... I think that seed was sown in 94, but I don't think it really grew and really started to bear fruit in a major way until about 2001. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And we will talk about that as we talk about sharing your faith today, and we talk about the lost, and we talk about evangelism, and we talk about serving God and being his disciple Remember this, the foundation of it is love. The foundation of it is love. It's okay to talk to people about their sin. They need to repent. We need to repent. But what is the motive behind it? Is the motive love or is the motive judgment? Is the motive love or is the motive criticism? Who are we to criticize? Who are we? God knows our hearts, the good and the bad. The righteousness and the wickedness God knows and God sees. We can't hide anything from him. Proverbs 24, verse 11. I didn't hear this. In in August of 2001, I'm not saying this the first time I heard this scripture, but it's when it took root in my heart, and it became sort of my life scripture. You know, Brady's got that scripture in Acts. I'm just a nobody trying to be somebody. I, anyway, that's, that's Brady's life scripture, if you will. I would say that Proverbs 24 is probably my life scripture, if you will. It is a scripture that has had the most impact on how I spend my days and my time and, as, and my understanding of service to the Lord. And it's verse... 11 and 12. It says this, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling toward the slaughter. The path in life without Christ is like this path that walks up closer and closer each day to the edge of a precipice or a canyon and without knowing people blindly walking off into it every day and dying. Teach me to number my days, O oh Lord, so that I may walk in the truth, the Bible says. But most of us don't know. Yes, some people, like my mom, got this announcement. You've got six months to live. Most of us don't know when the end is going to come. Most of us don't know that. I remember I was with my boss in 1996 in an earthquake in Mexico City. Very bad earthquake, very strong earthquake. We got through that. We made it out, thank the Lord. But that was many, many, many years ago. At that moment, neither of us knew whether or not we were going to survive another day. And I'm sure all of you have had experiences in your life. If you've lived long enough on this earth, you've all had experiences in your life where it might have come to an end, but for God, but for him covering you under the shadow of his wing and rescuing you. Rescue those being led to the slaughter. We're right here by Highway 92. We can't see why Highway 92, but if we could, and if we saw a toddler who had run out there on Highway 92 in the middle of the traffic we would drop whatever we were doing to run out there and try to grab that baby, wouldn't we? I can remember years and years ago, I was with my family in the Bahamas. We were down there. My dad was working, but we were also on a vacation. And there was a little baby in diaper in a diaper down by the highway by himself. We got the baby and took him back up to his house. I mean, can you imagine if we would have just kept on rolling down the road in our SUV and not lifted up our eyes and looked to see that little life that was at risk. But how many of us, if you're here today and you're of the faith, I'm talking to you. If you're here today and you haven't quite, and you're still working that out in your mind, then I'll share a few things with you later. But right now I'm talking to those who are of the faith, who have accepted Christ. The truth is, we live that existence every day. In Joel 3.14, it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You see, there are many, many. The Bible says many. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Many of the people around you today in your work or your family or your neighborhood or when you go on vacation or you go to the city or you go to the movie theater or you go to the grocery store or you sit in the bus stop or you come to school. Most people are in the valley of, the, of decision. Most people have not accepted Christ and by that they have rejected Christ. God has called you to be partakers in this wonderful rescue operation, to be heroes of the faith, to live for him, to serve him, and perhaps die for him, so that others might hear the gospel message and be saved. Yet, many of us sort of cruise through life in in our SUV, distracted, by pleasures and joys and work and this and that, sporting events? What is it that takes up our time? What is it that fills our heart? What is it that fills our conversations with humanity? Is there not one conversation that cannot be turned back toward the Bible? I was on a plane coming back from Mexico this week, and I had a conversation with a young man about 22, 23 we, we talked about his work. We talked about travels. Then we paused, and I got out my Bible, and I was just kind of reading through my Bible. And I noticed he kept looking over at me, and finally he said, you, you mark your Bible up a lot. You really study your Bible. He said, do you, why do you read the Bible? So I explained to him. I kind of took him through this little 20-minute journey of the Bible. We talked about what I liked about the Gospels and we talked about the most important theme of the Bible, which was Christ our Savior. We talked about the book of Proverbs, written by one of the most wise men that ever existed, and all the applica- We We went through the Bible, just a quick little tour. And in the end, I asked him if he was a man of faith, and he said he was. He said he'd given his life, he grew up in a Christian home, he'd given his life to the Lord, but he admitted that he really didn't read his Bible that much. You see, When we have the chance to go about serving the Lord, perhaps we are casting a seed to someone who has not accepted Christ, or perhaps we are doing like the Word says in helping make disciples. Every time you get the chance to speak to a believer, Paul said in Romans 1, chapter 8, that his purpose to go to Rome was to share the gospel. We all know Paul, the great evangelist. But what did he say before that in, in chapter 8? He said, I am first here so that we might mutually encourage one another in our faith. That was primary to him, to mutually encourage the believers, to mutually encourage the church in their faith, and then to share the gospel. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 16.23, Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. You hear that? Tell of his salvation from day to day. How many of you do not have the opportunity to take a conversation and steer it into a spiritual direction? How many empty conversations must we have with someone before we finally are able to get to the heart of the matter? That man... My boss that I was in that earthquake with in 1996, two weeks later, I just sprung it on him. I said, listen, i got to ask you something. In light of what we just went through a few weeks ago, we almost lost our life. I need to know where you're at. Have you made your peace with God? Years ago, I was working down in Kansas City we were on a line construction job, they were putting up some new electric line, supposed to be a dead line, and this lineman was going up in, in a bucket truck, getting ready to have contact with that line. He was not covered up, he didn't have his rubbers on, rubber goods on, because it was a dead line. Well, about four spans down, a live line had fallen and coming into contact with that line. And so he is literally going up in his bucket truck about to touch that line. And when I say literally, I mean he was only about four feet away from it at that moment when his foreman came rolling up in the pickup truck, screeched on his brakes and said, Stop, stop, don't touch it, it's a live line. Whew. He came down. Well, then when he got done with that job a couple hours later, same question. I just kind of nudged him. I said, Listen, in light of what just about happened, i got to ask you something. Have you made your peace with God? Are you ready to die? What would, what would have happened to you today had you touched that line? And so it, it sparked this conversation, right? It's easy to talk about those things when someone faces a life and death situation. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, we have people around us every day who are hurting. We have people around us every day who are looking for answers. We're in a high school right now. I love the fact that we get to have church in a high school. What a wonderful profession to be a teacher. My grandma was a teacher on both sides. My sister is a teacher. I'm going to tell you something. We're all teachers. There is no more message. Teaching is wonderful. Education is wonderful. There is no more important education than for someone to understand who Jesus is and the gospel message. There is no more important story to tell. So what is my invitation here? Let's talk about something. Let's go to, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Verse, I'm going to start out at verse 6. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. But the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I, I, as I get down further in that scripture, you'll, you're, you will better understand what I'm going to explain right now, but... What that scripture is saying is, quit sitting around and wondering about whether someone is saved or not saved. Don't do it. The word of God is near you. Take that word and put it into action. Take that word and put it into action. Don't wonder. Be sure. Talk to people. Ask them. Engage in them. Ask them a very important question. If you were to die tonight, what do you think would happen to you? You see, in the book of Genesis, we learn one of the most important facts about human nature. Let's go there real quick. This was not in my notes, but it's, it's, it's critical. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created man, In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right there, in the very first book of the Bible, we learn one of the most important things about humanity. And that is that we were created in the image of God. We have a spirit in us that is eternal. We have a spirit in us that will live forever and ever and ever. Though this flesh will perish Our spirit lives on. It does not cease to exist. The Bible talks about a judgment day where Jesus will judge. It says the sheep will be on the right and the goats will be on the left. It describes the sheep as those who knew Christ, his followers, his flock. It describes the goats as those who didn't know Jesus, who rejected him, who rejected his word and rejected his sacrifice for their sins. Matthew 9.37 says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. In Luke 13, I'm going to get back to Romans. In Luke 13, it says, Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When the, Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, but he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And again, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I'm not reading that whole passage, but it's in Luke 13, verses uh, 22 all the way through 28. But for the sake of time, I'm not sharing every scripture there. Later it says, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In 2 Corinthians five ten, it says, For me, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore... Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What is it talking about, the fear of the Lord? It's talking about Judgment Day. It's talking about the day when those who have rejected Christ will be cast into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there is no escape. There is only remorse. There is only pain. There is no comfort. These aren't my words, they are the words of Christ. It's important to me that I say that because there are certain things I'm not here today to debate between the essentials of... I love this, uh, C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. He talked about whether you're Roman or Baptist or Methodist or, or wherever you hail from, There are many topics that could become sort of controversial. But mere Christianity, basic Christianity, is this. And it is understanding the gospel. It is understanding that hell is real. It is understanding that those who don't know Christ will not ascend into heaven. They will not ascend into paradise, as Christ said, to the thief that was on the cross next to him. That guy didn't live for Jesus, did he? In fact, right before he died, he had this epiphany, he had this revelation. This man next to me on this cross is real. He's God. And Jesus said, you'll be with me tonight in paradise. I love that passage of scripture because it explains the mercy of Jesus and the love and the long-suffering of Christ. Many people, many of you probably here today think, well, I've lived this life and I'm not worthy and this and that. You know what? None of us are worthy of his mercy, but we receive it if we call on him. In James 5.19 it says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Do you hear that? There are many honorable and noble things that you can purpose in life. But the most honorable and the most noble is to rescue people from hell. We had the privilege to serve um, at at Ground Zero at 9-11. The boys were with us on that trip. They were little babies at that time. And the reality of that scripture really just struck me in the heart. Because I thought about those valiant firefighters then went in there and tried to save those people. And that is a very honorable and noble thing. People who serve in the military or firefighters. I'm a chaplain on the police department. One of the reasons I do that is because I really want to support and honor and minister to those who put on a uniform and a badge and they try to protect the society. It's a very honorable thing to do, but it is not the highest thing to do. You know what? If a firefighter pulls someone out of a burning building, one day they will still perish. When you lead someone to Christ and they repent, the Bible says here, let me read that again. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. I want to challenge you today to live heroic lives for Jesus. I want to challenge you today to be partakers as ambassadors of Christ, be partakers of this calling, his purposes to serve him and to call others to repentance and to share the most wonderful message you could ever share, which is the gospel message of Jesus. Let's go back to Romans. Romans. So Jesus says, the word is near you. Actually, Paul said that. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. The word's near you. Share it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches to all who call on him. That's critical, by the way, that part about there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We recognize that Israel, that the Jew was the chosen people of God, but then we learn later that the chosen people of God are those who have faith in Christ. There is no distinction whether your blood lineage is from that nation, the distinction is, do you have faith in Jesus? The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Have you ever believed something that wasn't true? Have you ever been duped about something? You ever get sold a car that was a lemon? Or or take a job? You were promised all these things and you found out later they were empty promises? And you serve this company, and then you found out this and that, and you you were duped. Let me tell you something. You're not being duped here. Jesus is real. This message is incredible. It is cleansing, it is renewing, and it saves the soul. But here's the thing. Listen to how Paul reasons through this necessity to share the gospel. He says, How are they to believe in him if they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Did you hear that? How are they to hear unless someone shares the message? I want to encourage you to take ownership of that today. To have that written on the wall of your heart. Yes, Lord, count me in. I'm signing on the dotted line. I'm going to step up, and I'm going to be a soldier for Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word. Faith. If you have faith today, it's because somewhere, somehow, you heard the word of God. You have faith because of the word of God. James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that faith? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, it's dead. I would challenge you to exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Pray for people, love people, serve people, share the gospel with them. But put your faith into exercise. If you do, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And before you know it, and there are many of you in this room today who can attest to that because you're already doing this, but all of a sudden, you find you have these wonderful adventures in faith every day. And God has made you a world changer, which is what he's called you to do. Do you believe that? Do you receive it? If you do, give me a nod, a big nod. God has called you to be a world changer for him. Do you want that in your life? Do you? If you do, I want to ask you to stand up because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Just quickly stand up in your seat. And receive this prayer that I have for those who are bold enough. The Bible says, the wicked flee when none pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So if you want to be bold, the first thing I ask you to do is stand up in your seat. If you have not, if you have accepted Christ, if Christ is your Savior. Okay, Lord, I pray for everyone who is standing up in this room today. I pray that they would be partakers in your gospel. I pray that they would be ambassadors of Christ. I pray that they would be soldiers of Christ. I pray that they would rescue people from hell. I pray, Lord, that together we would plunder the gates of hell. That together, Lord, you would use us, everyone in this room, use us today, use us tomorrow, use us next week, next year. Thank you, Lord, for your purposes you have in our life. We receive it. I pray that your anointing would rest on everyone here today. Rest your power on them. Fill them up with your Holy Spirit and use them and give them wonderful adventures in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have one more quick thing I want to share. That part of the sermon's over, but I want to preach now to those who perhaps have rejected Christ. There may be people in this room who are struggling. There may be people in this room who kind of believe this message and they don't. They haven't really absorbed it and they're not living it out. Number one, I got a couple books up here. It's called The Case for Christ. You may want to know more. You may want to hear more. I'm going to leave them up here. You can quietly, at your leisure, come up after the service and pick one of these up, and take it with you. But I wouldn't be a good evangelist if I didn't share a bit of that gospel message with you and... This is also a training session for those of you who perhaps want to get a little bit better at it, okay? There's some really critical scriptures that explain the gospel of Jesus. And you can write these down. I want to go through them real quickly, okay? Number one, it's critical to know that God loves everyone. People have different views of God. I've seen it. I travel down into Latin America. I travel to different places. And I notice culturally, religiously, People have different views of who God is. Some do not see God for who he really is. They don't understand his nature. I had a conversation a few weeks ago in California with a Muslim who does not understand the true nature of God. We were talking about Christ. I asked him, who do you think Christ is? Well, he is the son of God, but he's not God. He's a prophet. He's a teacher, but he's not God. You show me in the Bible where it says he is God. I said, okay, read John chapter 1. Just read that. And we went through those scriptures. Jesus is the Son of God, but do not be confused. Jesus is God. The Bible says the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says that all things come into existence because of Christ. He created everything. Jesus is God. It's critical to understand that important part of the gospel message. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us are imperfect vessels. All of us. The only difference between those who have accepted Christ and those who have rejected Christ is that we're forgiven. We're all sinners, but those who have accepted Christ are forgiven sinners. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 9, 27, all will die and face judgment. It is critical that you understand that. Why? Because I know a lot of folk in the church, a lot of people who claim to be of the faith, but they really don't want to believe in a literal burning hell. They don't want to believe in a day of judgment. I get it. It's awful. I don't want to believe that either. But it's it's true because God says it's true. We cannot dictate who God is. God is who he is. We don't define God. He defines us. We don't define truth. He defines truth. We can reject truth, but it doesn't mean it changes. Truth is the truth. It is appointed for man once to die and then face judgment. God desires and commands repentance. Ezekiel 18.32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Turn and live. Repent. Acts 8.22, Repent therefore of all this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Romans 10.9-10, Confess Christ with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to challenge you. Is there anyone here today who you, you believe all this, but you've never had the chance to publicly confess Christ as your Savior? You've never had the chance to, in front of other people, say, count me in. I don't reject Christ. I accept Christ. If you're that person, stand up right now, please. I'll give you a moment. Don't worry about who's watching, worry about the fact that the Lord is watching. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I invite you to stand up in your seat right now. Brief pause. I'm going to continue. Keep with repentance and bear fruit. Matthew 3.8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. A true convert will obey the teachings of Jesus. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The saved person will not practice a habit of sin. You can read that in Galatians chapter 5, Hebrews 10. Now that does not mean, well let me be clear on this matter. Please. That does not mean if we keep on sinning, we're not saved. It does not mean that if we Mess up, we're not saved. None of us are perfect, right? The grace of God is sufficient for thee. But keep in repentance. Keep in repentance. When you know, when you know that there's an area of your life that you have not surrendered to God, repent. Repent. Come clean. It's amazing how freeing that is. It's amazing how it can change your life. Repent, lest you fall away from the faith. There are people who slowly, slowly, slowly get to the point where they literally, I've, as an evangelist, I've met them. I've met people. I know a man today who was going into seminary when he was 25 years old. He lives in Mexico. And today he's 67 years old, and he completely rejects God. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't have the faith. He has walked away from his faith. I don't know everything that's happened. As you can imagine, I'm trying my best to reason with him and to persuade him while it's not too late. But the, the fact remains, there are people who at one point in their life had faith, and at another point in their life, somehow they've walked away from that faith. So repentance is a good spiritual discipline that keeps us walking with God. Amen? I'm going to close. Thank you all for your attention today. Thank you for all for hearing this message. I want to encourage you. There's one more thing, and this is part of my clothes. Um, I want to encourage you to take up your cross and begin to serve the Lord. This is, Brady and I have been discussing along with your leadership, uh, there is a really neat opportunity for us as a church to be involved in missions work and inner city ministry at the same time. I've had this relationship with a church I'm gonna leave this here this describes a little bit about my evangelism ministry that Brady has been a part of we've done this together for a long time on the very back here I included this because there's a picture and a description of Pastor Leonardo Cabrera he pastors a Hispanic Church right here in the city and when you take this it will give you as you read about some of these adventures in faith it will give you an idea of some of the things that we're going to begin to do in the city and become involved in. You know, you don't. Have, I'm, I, I love missions. Got saved on a mission trip to Guatemala when I was fifteen. So I believe in leaving this country to do missions trips. However, I would challenge you that we don't have to do that to reach the nations. Right here in Kansas City, right there at Pastor Leonardo's church, there are about six or seven different nations represented under that roof. And we are going to begin to partner with this church in the gospel work and in, in, in doing missions work. And we've got all kinds of creative ideas we're going to do. Pastor Lee, we're going to do a little bit of a pastor exchange one Sunday. Pastor Brady is going to go down there and preach. He's, pastor Leonardo is going to come here and preach one Sunday and share an amazing message about how he was, spent six to seven years in prison for preaching the gospel in Cuba. He has an amazing, powerful testimony. But we're going to look for ways to partner with this church. They have a Wednesday night service. We're going to go once in a while to their Wednesday night services. We're going to take up a collection and kind of do a food pantry. They live in one of the worst zip codes. This church is located in one of the worst zip codes in this nation for crime, poverty, drugs, human trafficking, gang violence. And so we are going to begin to minister together in that area with this church and have this wonderful partnership. And I want to invite anyone who's interested in that, you can come up here and kind of and take one of these and learn a little bit more about the kind of things we do. Okay? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. Your word says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Lord, I pray that you would be with my brothers and sisters today as they go out from this place, as they live their lives. I pray that you would use them. I pray that you would give them many adventures in faith. I pray that you would give them discernment and understanding. And most of all, give them a sense of urgency, Father God, urgency to rescue the lost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.